0: Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Harrington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 22 as we continue our journey. Today the title is Rise and Pray, looking at Jesus' time at Gethsemane. Have you ever heard the phrase, that's easy for you to say? Have you ever had to say that to some? Well, that's easy for you to say. It's one of those phrases that we use to tell someone that although something may be easy to say or simple for them, it doesn't make it that it's easy or simple for us. Preachers many times will say that, well, yeah, that's easy to preach, but it's very difficult to do. Uh, love your wives is something that is easy to say, but sometimes it can be difficult to do and vice versa. But as we look at it, we see that it w- doesn't always affect others the way it affects others. Like here's a waiter, here's, here's a scenario. Waiter, here's your check. You know, he hands you your check and one person says thanks and turning to the others, she says, I'm willing to just split the check evenly with the rest of you. The rest look at her and say, well, that's easy for you to say. You had lobster and we just had chicken strips. You know, it's like it's not even. It's easy for you to say something like that. Or you might consider Michael Jordan telling me that I just need to jump higher to dunk the ball. Of course, that's all I need to do is just jump higher. Or someone like uh, who has a job, who is gainfully employed in a time when it's very difficult sells. Oh, you just need to go and find a job and life will be fine. I mean, that's easy to say, but it's not always it's not always easy to do. It can be very difficult. Or Paige, my daughter-in-law, telling me to get to the to, to hand her the box. It's at the top of the cabinet. I can't do it. That's easy for you to say, Paige. And there have been many times that I have to admit that Paige has been over. And I say, can you please reach that box? It's also a retort used when someone gives advice and preaches about doing something despite never really having done it themselves. You know, speech is easy. Advice is easy. Following through is the most difficult part. Today, I can almost hear the disciples use this phrase in responding to Jesus when he tells them to rise up and pray. Would you just pray with me for another? That's easy for you to say. You do this all the time. We believe you're the Christ. We believe you're supernatural. Now, Jesus has been warning his disciples of the difficult times ahead as the cosmic battle between God and Satan continues. Though Satan has demanded and desires to thwart the ministry of Jesus, he is helpless as nothing can prevent or hinder the plan of redemption. That's where we find ourselves this morning. Now, as we come to Luke chapter 22, verses 39, we are now in the last three hours or so of Jesus' betrayal, his trial, and his crucifixion. Jesus has been preparing his disciples for these events for some time. At least three times he has warned them that he is going to be betrayed and, and, and given up and killed. The severity of his suffering of what he's going to have to endure is weighing Jesus down. He understands and accepts his role in God's plan, the plan of redemption. Yet the humidity, humanity, I should say, of Jesus is going to be in full display in this passage as he prays for strength. So with that, join with me in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, as we read through verse 46. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. You may want to underline that. That's very important. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared in verse 43 to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You could see the immense suffering and sorrow he's having here. Verse 45. And when he rose for the prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So, Father, we're going to tackle a familiar portion of Scripture this morning. We're going to consider not only the humanity of Christ and the sorrow, but also this, this exhortation, this encouragement, this command to rise up and pray that we may not enter into temptation. So give us wisdom, give us discernment. May your Holy Spirit have free reign, keep us from distractions. Lord, that we may give your word full attention. And Father, with our mind and our eyes, our heart, that we may consider your words and may it lead us to a greater standard to see what it is that you're calling us to do this morning. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. So in this passage, we're going to see, I believe, five things, four to five things here, four things it looks like. Four things I want us to see in this passage. We just look at an observation. First, as I've said already, you're going to see the humanity of Christ, the humanity of Christ. The previous passage has displayed his divinity through his predictions about the future behavior of his disciples and other people and events. Things such as uh, when he predicted that there's going to be constant warfare and conflict from this time forward, just as it has been, it will continue. He predicted natural disasters such as earthquakes and famine would be a common occurrence destruction of the temple and of this end of the of, of the uh, of jerusalem in particular their he predicted cosmic disturbances in the second heavens second heavens is where the the, the stars and the and the moon and the thing and the, and the galaxies reside he predicted his return as king to usher in peace through righteousness and judgment He predicted his betrayal by Judas, one who would be close to him, as well as Peter's denial of him. Now we see his humanity, though, as time approaches for his suffering. While in Jerusalem, Jesus would go to the Mount of Olives each night to pray and to sleep, to camp out, so to speak, specifically to the Garden of Gethsemane. This time was different as Luke describes Jesus or Jesus as distressed and troubled, writing that Jesus was in agony. He prayed more earnestly. So even more than he would normally do, his humanity was bearing down on him as he considered what he was about to participate in. It says his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down, to the, uh, falling down to the ground. Now, whether or not it was something that like, it's similar in which he just had great drops and it looked like blood or the physical condition where blood can come, uh, I don't particularly know. There's different opinions of that. And either way, the point is, it was in such agony that it was physically changing his body. And things were in dire need here. From the beginning of his life on earth, Jesus was in danger and endured suffering. Consider just some of the sufferings of Christ before this time. Jesus' own family initially rejected his teaching, mocking and ridiculing him. Some claim, not his family, but some claim that he was illegitimate, born out of wedlock as he was not the son of Joseph. The religious leaders were jealous, accusing him of being demon possessed, one of the the worst things that you could call someone. His hometown of Nazareth was enraged by his claims to be the Messiah and sought to throw him off a cliff, his own hometown. The religious leaders continue to oppose his ministry bit by bit as well as the demons and spreading lies and seeking ways to accuse him. So all of this he has endured all of his lifetime, not just the three years of his ministry, but his whole life he had been put under a microscope. Probably the, 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 the source of gossip for many. Look at Jesus. Do you know that he, his dad is not really Joseph? Look at him. He's different. He always does things right. There's nothing worse uh, than, than, than people than someone who's a goody two-shoes, right? Just using that phrase in an in a idiom way, you know, just in a colloquial way in which someone who does good is always someone that we always want to pick on. But if those things were not enough, Jesus knew what awaited him in a very few short hours. He would be betrayed by a close friend and disciple. He would be arrested and tortured for a crime he did not commit. He was deprived of sleep, denied food and water. He was beaten, mocked, and carted back and forth between illegal trials. He would be abandoned by his followers with one one actually denouncing him. I know not the man. The flogging he would experience was so brutal that it tore away flesh and muscle, likely exposing bone and eternal organs. He would be mocked and spit upon as well as struck with a fist while a crow- crown of thorns would be pressed down into his head. He would be crucified as a criminal, naked, enduring much physical pain. Jesus knew his only recourse in facing that was prayer that would be his source of strength he is not relying on his divinity at this moment he is allowing the full 100 percent of his humanity endure these things so jesus advised his closest disciples to pray that you might not enter in temptation many have called this the second temptation of christ and it would be true take this from me but not my will but yours be done There's a sense, you say, does this really have to happen? Is this the way you truly have ordained it? Is this what you truly want? So he goes to prayer for strength. And now he reiterates to his disciples, you too must pray. Why? Because I already told you that Satan has wanted to sift you. You need to pray because the hour is is near. You're going to face a temptation that is stronger than any of you, an opponent that is stronger than you. He just finished warning them about Satan's plan to sift him. The timing of testing they're about to face, as well as his, is going to be intense. Jesus knows what's ahead. The betrayal, the abandonment, the false accusations, the beatings, the mockeries, the whipping. And not only that, the cross itself. Jesus' heart is full of deep, deep agony and fear and even a little bit of anxiety. However, the obedience of Christ is also in full display regardless of the circumstances and the consequences of taking the cup of God's wrath. What we need to see here is he's modeling for his disciples how to pray. As Luke tells us that he was just a stone's throw away. In other words, it's saying he was, they were an earshot of what he's praying. Jesus is praying not only for his benefit, for the, for the spirit to give him strength, but also so they may hear the model prayer that we prayed earlier. Our Father in heaven, hallowed by thy name. He's reiterating and modeling this for them. They would be within earshot of his petitions before the Father. But what we see here is not only the humanity of Christ, but the second observation is the indifference of the disciples. The indifference of the disciples. I don't know about you, but could you imagine seeing a friend who was very troubled, who you could tell physically was struggling. And all you do is say, I'm just going to go over here and sleep. It's really what they're doing. They're indifferent to what he's struggling with. The disciples continue up to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray after celebrating the Passover dinner. It was a special time in that upper room. Judas has already uh, departed to finalize his part in betraying Jesus to the religious leaders. They're unaware of this. Though Luke does not recall all the events that happened at the garden, Jesus selects his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, to accompany him to pray while leaving the others to sit and rest. Peter, James, and John seem to have a special bond with Jesus as they witnessed the transfiguration and now this special time of prayer. Most likely, it was Jesus' desire for them to support him by joining him in praying. Hey, would you pray for me i'm going through a difficult time i I, i'm struggling with this would you pray would you encourage me but it seems that they were not up to the task they were not aware of the upcoming events even though they've been warned about them they had a weakness in staying awake they had a long day themselves but they're not even concerned about praying for their faith after the warning to be strong i would ask the same thing we've been talking about in our friday groups that we talked about last week the prayer is, Lord says, deliver us or lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Have we prayed that even this week ourselves? Have you been encouraged to pray for strength? It's just something that we just take for granted. We may say a few popcorn phrases, we may close our eyes and pray as the pastor or the teacher or someone else does. We're just not concerned for our faith to be strong. So not only do we see the indifference of the disciples, but now we see the instructions and words of rebuke to the disciples. As Jesus tells them, pray that you may not enter in temptation. Why are you sleeping? He goes on. Rise and pray that you may not enter. Twice he comes and tells them, rise and pray. Be awake, be sober-minded. I know your day has been difficult. There are difficult times ahead, but the source of it is not found in your comfort or in your sleep patterns, but in praying. That's a hard concept. Again, another thing easy to say, but very difficult to do. Disciples are tired. It's past near midnight. They have been up all day with all the excitement that's been going in since Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and then walked in triumph on Palm Sunday. Sunday, Monday, uh, Tuesday have been busy days as they've been going back and forth and hearing Jesus teaching and healing. They had heard of the betrayal of one of their own scatter and the, of the, the uh, betrayal of one of their own. They'd been warned about their own scattering and the denial of Peter, along with Jesus' insist- insistence that he will suffer death. They all had professed before, if we must die with you, we will not deny you. Yet they could not remain and watch and pray with him, in which they should have been able to notice that this was unlike Jesus. Not prayer was unlike Jesus, but the agony and the words and his voice. You know, I think it's very, this is off kilter. This is not from the word of God. This is my own opinion. I think that, uh, remember um, the passion with uh, Mel Gibson's movie? I remember being able to see that before it came on to the theaters. It was a rough cut. We saw it down at uh, one of the broken clock churches down south. And I was just that beginning when Jesus in, in Gethsemane. And Gibson's um, decision to have Jesus pray in Aramaic, I think was such a great decision. And, the, and, and how Jim Cazell did that was so powerful. Um, and he just, I think, as I watched him pray and heard that language, you could see the turmoil. So now let's go back from scripture. That was just something that's an illustration is the word of God is even more powerful than that. And they could see Jesus, but yet they were so tired. They could not remain and watch and pray. Now, Luke does point out, I think you caught this, is that they were sleeping with sorrow. Did you see that? They were sleeping with sorrow as well, indicating that they were overwhelmed by the events of the night, and they most likely, uh, and all the disturbing information that Jesus has given them had probably been running through their mind as well. And, and you've been like that, right? You're, you're, you're tired, you're, you're just dog tired, and, and your mind is moving 100 miles an hour, and all you want to do is sleep. This is how the disciples were. So Jesus says, Listen, your indifference is going to lead you to trouble. You need to rise up. And pray, I know you're tired. I know this is difficult. But you're going to need strength. But then as we go to verse 42, I believe, the prayer of Christ in verse 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. So now we want to look at this temptation of Christ, this this prayer I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the letter of Romans. Book of Romans. Jesus' prayer here, as we just focus on this in a moment, is a model for us. He's making a plea. If possible, Father, spare me. Father, if possible, is there a different way? Remove this cup from me but he also ends, but if only it is your will. We must remember that it was the will of God. The prophet Isaiah writes that it was the will of Yahweh to crush the Messiah, that he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. This cup that Jesus must drink from was filled with suffering and death. It was God's wrath that he was to pour into, to drink from. The wrath of God requires judgment on all sinners as he is a God of justice. Paul writes of the wrath of God in Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So in here, we see that the wrath of God is is reserved for all those who have suppressed the truth, all those who have denied and rebelled against God. Now look to the next chapter, Romans chapter 2. Look at verses 4 through 6. He goes on to say, do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience? In other words, why are you living your life in such a way, breathing every day, enjoying life, the common grace of God, without acknowledging God. He says, do you not know that God's kindness in that killing you right now is meant to lead you to repentance? He's given us the time to repent. But because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And he will render to each one according to his work. This is the wrath of God. This is the cup that Jesus is about to drink. The sins of all of God's children. Our rebellion, our hostility, our own desires past, present, and future. Jesus is going to imbibe the very wrath of God. One may ask, why me? Why do I have to have the wrath of God? What have I done wrong? Well, in Romans 3, we read this passage here on the monitor, I believe, is that none is righteous. There's no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not everyone. I think we're getting the point here, right? But he again goes on to say, there's no fear of God before their eyes. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so they are due the wrath of God. Jesus models the prayer taught to disciples when he cries, not my will, but your wills be done. We need to recognize this, that Jesus is ready to receive to himself that which belongs to another. As I said last week, the innocent for the guilty. Jesus models the prayer taught to disciples when he cries out, not my will, but yours done. As Paul points out to the church of Philippi, again on the monitor, I believe, That being found in human form, that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the death of the cross. How many of you would drink a cup of poison if you knew that it was poison? How many of you would drink a cup of water if you knew that it was filled with bacteria that can harm you or food that was diseased? None of us would, not willingly, not knowingly. But Jesus is ready to take this cup of wrath, knowing exactly what it's going to bring. Now, I gave you all the list of all the things that are about to face Jesus. And again, these things are easy to say, but very difficult for us to experience. The closest that you and I can experience anything that Jesus went through is watching a movie like The Passion. And I believe many of you have ever seen that. You're appalled by what you hear. But again, it's easy to say it's hard to experience. So we can't even imagine the physical that, uh, uh, torture that Jesus went through. But not only that, it was the wrath of God. As Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? sun went dark for three hours as the very wrath of God was poured out. Not the wrath of man, but the primary cause of all things is God's wrath was poured out on Christ. Again, easy to say, hard to really fathom. And to be honest, I I, I read it, but we will never be in a situation where we can understand exactly what Jesus went through. But even in this moment of intense agony, before the events are about to happen, Jesus still humbles himself and says, your will be done. Willingly and obediently, he faced that which was deserved by me. The prophet Isaiah declared centuries before the Messiah that he would be despised and rejected by men. He would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He'd be one in which men would hide their face. He was despised and not esteemed. He borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we were healed. Like many of us, the disciples just wanted to forget all of the troubling news. They consider these warnings of Jesus and just say, we don't know what to do with it. We don't understand. And that's normal. People cope in many different ways with our struggles, with our sufferings, with pain. We might use medicine, prescription drugs. We might just use illegal drugs, alcohol, pleasure experiments, and even sleep to deal with the pressures of life when he gets us down. We just try to cope. We just want to forget. We just want to be numb. However, Jesus shows us a better way of how we're to handle these difficult times. And that's obedience through prayer. Obedience through prayer. Turn again to Romans, I think, if you're still there. This time I'd like for you to turn to chapter 5 of Romans. Because what we see is Jesus' teaching is that you and I need to be obedient through prayer is that Jesus' obedience provided and secured God's forgiveness and favor. Because he was obedient through prayer, you and I find forgiveness. His death was the sacrificial, wrath-averting Passover lamb. Look at Romans chapter 5, look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood... Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Why? Because Jesus drank from the cup that was reserved for us. Look at verse 10. For while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Obedience through prayer. Romans 5, look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, speaking of Adam, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. We spoke of this last week, Jesus. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. How is Jesus obedient? Through prayer, through humbling himself and obeying God. And even in those times of obedience, it's easy to say, but he knew that he needed to have the source of strength found in the Father. Of course, we're not talking many of it. Luke is the only one that I think that records that God sent ministering angels then to minister him, to calm his mind and his spirit, maybe to refresh in some way. Uh, it would seem to me that that uh, that even though they may have been able to hear Jesus, either they did not see The angels, because they were invisible in some way or they just could not see them in person as no one knows here. Not much is said about it. But what we see is that angels are ministering angels sent by God. Even to us today, the scripture tells us that. The writer of Hebrews informs us that Jesus did find joy in his suffering in drinking fully of that cup when he wrote for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross see as he looked at this cup of wrath he was finally able through his prayer and the ministering of the father by the angels is that he was able to drink it only because he realized what was past that and as we talked about in our adult core class this morning Romans 8, I don't think, are you there? Or you're in Romans 5? Look at Romans 8, verse 28. Romans 8, 28. The scripture tells us, and we know that for all who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Just as Jesus was called for God's purpose, god saw him through and so what is it that uni and i need to do we we have obedience through prayer rising up and praying because we know that god's all things that we endure have a future glory you and i are to hold on to the promise that's what jesus did i'll drink this cup knowing that it will be effectual that it will be finished that it will redeem god's children He understood that as he humbles himself, that he will be exalted by the Father and that his name will be above all names. So you and I, when we find ourselves struggling, when we find ourselves filled with worry and anxiety, when we're not sure, we're confused, we're frustrated, we must find that we must still follow him, take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him, obedience, through prayer. I want to spend our last few minutes reflecting on Jesus' words now to his disciples. Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. This is a very familiar saying, but what does it mean? Pastors and teachers can use these words of Jesus without without thinking about what it means. The context is Jesus is encouraging and rebuking his disciples to stay awake and pray with them. He seems to be saying that they can resist temptation if they only exercise more control over their flesh, if they're more obedient. John MacArthur writes that sense seen here on the screen is that the willing the spirit is still attached to the redeemed flesh. Believers are not always able to practice the righteousness they desire to do. In our humanity, there are times that we are not able to be obedient, hence why we need to pray for strength. Our spirits and minds have been renewed and redeemed. We can now taste and see that God is good. We now can desire and love God, yet our bodies are still suffering from the presence of sin. You might have your Bible still open to Romans 8.23. It's still here on the monitor. It says that we ourselves, uh, who had the first fruits of the Spirit, we grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of sons, the redemption of our body. So like Christ in our humanity, we must be obedient through prayer. We need to know that the redemption of our bodies is coming. We've been saved from the penalty and the power of sin, but we still wait the time when we will be saved from the presence of sin. Now, this does not mean that we have no choice. Paul tells us to walk by the Spirit and we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In this passage, we see the contrast between Christ and the disciples. While Jesus is facing the most severe testing, he lifts his burdens to the Father and surrenders his will to the Father. The disciples' temptation was to give in to their physical tiredness, their weakness, and their, and their sorrow. And they fail not only to support Jesus in prayer, but they themselves are going to fall to temptation in just a few short hours again we may respond to jesus that's easy for you to say rise up and pray peter writes that jesus did not sin neither was deceit found in his mouth while paul writes that jesus himself knew no sin how can you and i do that how can we be obedient even through prayer well scripture encourages that in every respect jesus was tempted as we are we see a temptation here Yet he was without sin. John Piper in his book, Why Jesus Came to Die, I think I already have this on here. He says, on the way to the cross for 30 years, Christ was tempted like every human is tempted. True, he never sinned. But wise people have pointed out that this means his temptations were stronger than ours, not weaker. If a person gives into temptation, it never reaches its fullest and longest assault. I've used the illustration, excuse me, of lifting weights. You know, it's the one who, they release it very quickly. They may redo it for a, for, for a short time, but not for the fullest and longest assault. And this is what Jesus did. He took it all the way to the end until Satan departed you and I usually don't resist Satan till he departs. We just, oh, I can only take so much, and we give in. Speaking of this passage, going back to Luke 22, this passage today is traditionally used to teach the vigilance and prayer in the face of temptation. Jesus knew he would face death. He had told them three times before. In the Gospel of Luke, we see that the Father sends angels to support and minister to Christ. In the same way, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit supports and ministers to us. You might have Romans 8, 24 through 26, where it says, I believe it might be in my heart, for in this hope, the removal of the presence of sin, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who holds for what he sees, right? If you haven't, you don't hope for it. We hope for things that we do not see. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with what? Patience. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray, for as we ought, but the spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. As Jesus the Father sent the angels to minister, the Spirit, or the, the Father sends the Spirit to minister to us as we are obedient in prayer. So what will happen if I fail to watch and pray? What happens when I do not remain? What if I fail Jesus in my time of trial? How shall I respond when I fall in temptation and I, and I cannot bear its full weight and length and time? Well, very simply, remember to hold on to Romans 5, 6. Are you still there in Romans nearby? Romans chapter 5, look at 5, verse 6. Paul writes this to the church of Rome who was undergoing persecution that you and I cannot understand. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Even though the disciples refused to rise up and pray, even though they failed, they denounced, they, they scattered, they left Christ, he still died for them. And then we see the words of encouragement in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our transgressions. So again, we can go to Matthew chapter 6 once again and go back to the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debts against us. Thomas Schreiner, who we've been indebted throughout this series, says, Hudson Taylor was known for his prayer life. And he was used mightily by God because he depended on God for strength and perseverance. And we may feel at times as if we're doing nothing when we pray, it's just words. But prayer reveals whether we are trusting in the Lord or ourselves. There you see the difference between Jesus, who was not only human but divine, trusting in God, and the disciples who are just trusting in their sleep. Thomas Schreider goes on, when we pray, we show that we are prone to wander and need divine enabling to endure. And that's what you and I need. He goes on to write, Jesus, of course, is our supreme exemplar as he gives himself entirely to God's will as he faces the cross, the greatest in evil and suffering the world has ever known and will ever know. We can take comfort that Jesus is like us. He is flesh and blood that he did not want to suffer and that he hoped that the cross could be avoided. We have a savior who knows what it's like to be tempted in every arena of life. We have a God who knows what it is like to be human, who knows what we feel when we suffer. No one can say that our God in Christ, or no one can say that our God in Jesus Christ does not know what it's like to suffer that he does not know what we are experiencing. Jesus, as the Son of God, has suffered, I would tell you, more than all of us. Dr. Schreiner goes on to write, we see from these verses that disciples are sleeping because their hearts are filled with grief. Sometimes when a spiritual battle rages, we are filled with sadness and despair. And I would add frustration. We would add almost with, I just give up. But going back to Dr. Schreiner, he says, we withdraw from life and sleep instead to avoid life's pain. We'll do anything to avoid pain. Sometimes what we need above all is sleep. We should not apply this text simplistically, though, he warns. At the same time, Jesus reminds disciples that sleep and withdrawal are not the pathway to victory. We must depend upon God to help us in our hour of need, realizing that we can make it only by his power, not our own obedience through prayer. John Owen warns, if we do not abide in prayer, we will abide in temptation. Many of you may be struggling with the temptation. You wonder, why can I get rid of this? Why do my mind keep going to this? Why do I keep struggling, suffering from the same thing? The reason very well could be is you're not abiding in prayer. You're not obeying in prayer. So let us pray and rise, understand the importance of praying during temptation and testing. Let us rejoice in the obedience of Christ to the Father amid personal, extreme personal struggle and sacrifice, his willingness to drink the cup, the suffering, but also those, let us pray as Matthew 6.13 says, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. We will face temptation in this life. Suffering is part of the Christian experience, but we must rise up and pray that we may not fall into temptation. Paul gives us this word, and I'd like to read to once again as we close with this, is why should we rise up and pray? Paul writes, let not anyone think that when he stands or let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to that man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That way of escape is most likely going to be Prayer for obedience, for strength, for comfort. May we rise up and pray that we may not enter into temptation. If there had eyes closed and every head bowed, just for a moment, before we go to communion, I just want you to take a moment to pause. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.